On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about why it is that some people seem eager, eager to be giving up their freedoms. And there's a reason why they are proposing to do this, because they don't like what some other people are doing with their freedoms. But you got to remember, and we're going to talk about it, when you start closing the door on things that we have in this country, freedoms we have in this country, the door doesn't reopen. We're going to talk about what that means and what it's all about. Uh, we're also going to be chatting about the cost of climate stuff, climate change. The three of the parties running in the election have proposed a net zero carbon emissions standard by 2050. Yet none of them are talking about what the cost of that would be. It sounds incredibly expensive. Doesn't mean it's not a good idea. It just means we should probably be at least knowing what this is going to cost before we dive into something like this or vote for it. What would it cost? Well, we'll try and sort through some of that as well. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I am constantly, perpetually perplexed by people in this country who who really have it very, very good. I mean, we have it really good in this country, by and large. I know some people do better than others, but if you've ever traveled anywhere else in the world, you would understand that even those at the very lowest ebb of poverty here are still massively ahead of millions and millions and millions of people around the world. It's not to belittle the poverty situation we have, not at all. But travel to a third world nation if you want to compare poverty to poverty. Just saying, we, we, we complain, we have stuff to complain about for sure, and we do. But relatively speaking, things are pretty good here. And what are the reasons why things are pretty good? Well, I would argue that one of them, one of the reasons why we have good things in a society that we can be proud of and that we like and we enjoy living in is because we have freedoms. So it is always, as I say, perplexing and puzzling to me when we have people who want to curtail, voluntarily curtail those freedoms, who want to cut back on freedoms that we enjoy. And remember, no government, once freedoms have been taken away and power has been given to the hands of a government, no government ever unclenches its fists and releases those freedoms back to the people. Think about it. Show me the government that the people that has taken over, that, that took freedom away from people, that voluntarily said, yes, we'd like you to have that back. People have gotten freedom back, but they've had to fight for it. You don't give away the freedoms you have. And why am I saying this? Because the story in The Spectator today, I encourage you to go read it. Headline is, Mohawk College should have declined to rent space to Maxime Bernier. And the column goes on, it's an opinion piece, and it goes on to say Maxine Bernier and his party and the people who support it are horrible people and it's going to lead to problems because they're all racists and on and on and on. And therefore, this is wrong. The college, Mohawk College, where he's going to have an event on Sunday night should have declined this because Hamilton is now a festering ball of hate and this is only exacerbating that. Let me say something. I am not going to be voting for the People's Party. I'm not going to be voting for Maxime Bernier in this election. So I don't have a vested interest in supporting Maxime Bernier. But he is a registered official party in the federal election 
He is going to be at the leaders' debates. He's been invited to the leaders' debates. He's going to be up on the stage with the other leaders. He is, in other words, a legitimate, he won't win, but he is a legitimate official candidate. And yet we have people who would say, well, I, you know, I don't like what he has to say. And you know, want to know something? There are things that most of us don't like. But the fact that we have people, that the answer to hearing things that you don't like or that trouble you, that the answer seems to be in the default position now is, if I hear something that I don't like, that offends me, that bothers me, that troubles me, the, the way to respond to that is shut it down. Don't allow it. Make it go away. Prevent it. Stop it. Censor it. That is such a horrible response and such a wrong-headed, misguided response to these kind of things. The idea that we would say there is someone here whose ideas offend me and offend other people, thus they should not be able to speak. You know, it's a great idea in people's minds. It's a fantastic idea in people's minds until the person who's causing the offense until the tides turn, the pendulum swings, and now you're the one whose words may have caused offense to someone, and they're saying, well, you can't have your say. Well, now suddenly, wait, no, no, you, you can't do that. Well, when you try to shut people down because you don't agree with their words, that's exactly what you're doing. You are opening the gates to saying, well, when the, when the sensibilities change, and they always do, political... Politics is like the wind. It blows around and one day it's blowing this way. The next day it's blowing this way. Soon as you start to say people who aren't in the, who, whose words are not blowing with the political winds of the day, with the political correct winds of the day must be shut down. Boy, oh boy, we, uh, we are asking for all kinds of problems. I mean, go again, go around the world where people don't have the freedoms we have and say, hey, I got a question for you. Would you want to hear all views, even if you disagree with them, so you can make a decision? Or would you only want to hear the views that are rubber stamped and okayed by the government of the time so that they can be official sanctioned events? And anyone whose views don't fall in line with what the government deems to be okay, well, they're not allowed to speak. There's a lot of places, and I don't have to name them for you, where the people would say, oh, please give me all the voices and let me decide. If this was all, though, that would be one thing. That's only the tip of what is going on in this iceberg, and I don't understand people who want this. I really don't. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about a, a piece that was in the spec today, Mohawk College should have declined to rent space to Maxime Bernier. He's going to be here Sunday speaking in Hamilton and the author of this and go on social media. You'll find there is plenty of support for what this person said, argued that because they disagree vehemently with what Maxime Bernier has said or what he stands for or what they tr- take that he stands for, that the, you know, the college should have said, no, we're not going to have you here. You're all about hate. We're not about hate. We're not going to have hate here. That's their perspective on this. And my argument is. It is such a wrong-headed response. The shut it down if I don't agree. Shut it down if I deem it's offensive. Shut it down if it bothers me or I think it's going to bother someone else is absolutely the wrong way to do this, but it's a way we are starting to see people leaning on now. 
the default sensor it shut it down not let it be allowed position and once again i'm not voting for maxime bernier i'm not arguing here as a person who supports maxime bernier what i am supporting is that he is an official candidate for leader for prime minister he is on the candidates debates the rest of the country whether we like it or not is deeming him to be a real candidate he's not going to win and yet we want people want to say no you can't speak here you're offensive you can't be heard look if you're if you believe that your point of view that your argument that your position is superior the way you establish that is by airing all the sides and then people can make a decision. And if your side is really, really strong, people will naturally say, you know what? That side made a lot more sense. I didn't like what Bernier had to say. I like the, what the other people are saying. It's why debates are debates. They're not just, well, I disagree with that person's position. So we're going to have a debate, but only one side gets to say what they're going to say. It's not healthy. It's a stupid 2019 well, even more than that, but position that we're taking that we got to shut down things with which we disagree. It gets worse, though. There's a story in the Toronto Star. Uh, what day was it? Yesterday, maybe? I think it was yesterday. Could be the day before. Majority of Canadians want government to regulate social media, poll says. 60% of Canadians, Abacus Data did a poll of 3,000 Canadians. 60% want government regulation of social media now. Well, that's a brilliant idea, isn't it? Think about that for a second. We have the internet for all its flaws, and believe me, there is endless goop and crap and slime on the internet. There's no question, and no one's arguing otherwise. But we have this thing that is free. Most of the world who don't have free internet, by the way, just in case you have been so closed into your own little whatever that you haven't realized it in China, they don't have free internet, they don't have full access. Other places, North Korea, places, they don't have it. They would love it. But what we want now is to say, hey, you know what? China's system sounds pretty good. We're going to have the government tell us what we're allowed to see because the rest of the stuff might be offensive. Now, what happens if we give the government this kind of power and they start to close off even more stuff that may not truly be offensive, but that would be offensive to them? You say, well, we stopped them from doing that. Well, how do we know they're doing it? We can't see it. We don't know what they're shutting off. As soon as you hand power and take away freedoms and hand power to governments or other groups, you are giving away your freedom, which is one of the things that makes this country great. Why would we want to give away these things? Why would we want to enforce censorship? Why do we want to take away these things that are precious, even if some of the stuff that you might hear that might pass through your ears might bother you, even if you think some of the stuff you might hear is offensive, is the trade-off of censorship and banning and having government interference, is that better? And keep one other thing in mind. Right now, some people listening might say, well, you know what? Some of the stuff that's on the internet is really awful. 
we really should have government. And, and what they're talking about mostly, though, is for news stories and stuff, for, for fake news and for hateful stuff. And look, I don't want to read fake news, and I don't want to read hateful things on the Internet. So you've got two options. You say, government, stop doing it. Stop this from happening. Or you say, I'm not going to read it. Aha! Uh-huh. Personal responsibility? Really? Me? So I have the choice not to go see Maxime Bernier on Sunday? I was under the impression that if he was coming to Hamilton, I was obligated to go, that I had to, but no, you don't. If you don't want to hear him, you don't have to go. And if you don't want to type into hateful stuff on the internet, you don't have to read it. Why is our default position seemingly in some corners now to say, you know what? It's there and if I'm not going to see it, nobody should see it. Because remember this, right now, if you're in the position where you're one of the people who is saying this, and I certainly hope you're not, and the government of the day is on your side, reflects your views, this is a great idea, it seems. Well, what happens when the government switches? As I say, the winds blow, and suddenly the new government in power decides we're now deciding a different thing that's offensive, and all of that other stuff that you used to support, now that's going to be blocked. Yeah, you're not getting, you're not allowed to have your voice either. It is such a bad, such a bad, such a bad idea. The people, if you're one of these people, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? If you don't want to hear this stuff, close your ears, close your eyes. Don't go to that website. Don't attend the rally. Ignore the stuff that you don't want to be exposed to. But the argument that we need to shut down anything that offends me or bothers me or that I disagree with. You're wrong. It's the wrong way to do it. It's the wrong way to do it. And you're wrong for proposing it. You don't have to agree with anybody. But you don't want to shut them down either. We need freedoms in this country. We don't want more freedoms taken away. We want more freedoms left. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The federal election rolls along. Have you noticed? Have you heard anything? Did you know there was an election going on? Part of me says a lot of people are wishing they didn't because they're getting fatigued of it. I understand that. It is, uh, it, it is an interesting election for sure. It is an interesting election between the nastiness and the endless promises. We've talked about all that stuff on the show. And I think there's a lot of people. I mean, if you're listening to this show, if you listen to Bill, if you listen to Scott during the day, if you read the paper, if you're doing your work online, you're not in this group. But I think there's a lot of people who are sort of taking a, a pause here and saying, you know, I'll check in closer to the time. I, I, I can't take five, four more weeks of this. I'll, I'll, I'll check in a little closer to the election, make my decision. But there was a particular promise that popped up yesterday that I found very fascinating. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit. We're waiting for our guest to call and he'll be with us momentarily. So I heard yesterday that the federal liberals announced that if they were elected, they would implement a net zero carbon emissions strategy for 2050, by 2050, at least that's the plan. And it's a lot like what the Greens would do, maybe not the same details, but you know, that, that goal towards a net zero carbon emissions strategy, except the, we all know the Greens have less a chance of forming a government than the cast of Letterkenny does. So, I mean, we don't need to really spend a lot of time worried about them as far as what they would actually do. The Liberals very much could and may well win this election still. I, I'm still saying that Justin Trudeau wins this one again. And depending on your point of view on climate change, this could be 
a phenomenal idea that is past its time, or it could be, if you're on the other side, it could be ridiculous. We're not talking about where your climate change views lie right now. That we can have that discussion a different day. The topic I want, the thing I want to talk about is the thing that isn't being mentioned and the question that is not being answered in this discussion so far is what would this cost? Right now you may say we need to fix the climate. We need to fix the earth. So cost is no object. Well, okay, but it kind of is an object. We do have to know what something like this is going to cost because we do have to be able to have an economy working because we do have to be able to still live. So Catherine McKenna was asked, the environment minister was asked how this would work. And and here was her quote. The point is right now we need to get elected. We need to get through this election because the choice is really clear. If we are reelected, we will look at how best to do this. That is not an answer. Elect us. And we're not telling you anything, but we'll figure it out once we are elected. That's like saying, hire me to repair your fridge. I don't know if I can do it. I've never repaired a fridge before. And I don't know what it'll cost, but just sign the contract to guarantee I'm going to get the work. And we'll sort out what it's going to cost. That's not, you need your fridge fixed. There are, you can make the argument the fridge has to be fixed. But I think we have to know kind of what this would cost. Well, let me bring in our good friend who's stepping away from an important meeting to do this. We appreciate it. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Sir, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for calling in. I know you are busy tonight. But uh, th- this, to me, it's one of those discussions that I think many people would say, you know what, I, I agree that we need to do something with the climate. And there will be people, Marvin, who will say, yeah, the idea of zero emissions or zero net emissions by 2050 is is a good thing. But we do as I said a moment ago, we have to keep an economy going while we're doing this. And, and I don't know if you hear the same thing I do, but this sounds very expensive to do this. Yeah, well, it is. So let me, let me just go back first, and then we'll go forward. Sure. Um, you're calling, or you asked me to talk about this, because the Liberals specifically uh, made a point about this issue. But believe it or not, they're not the first. This is actually now the third of the six parties that are significant in this election who have pledged to make Canada carbon neutral by the year 2050. The Liberals are joining, in essence, the NDP and the Greens, who also made this pledge, and using the exact same argument you've made, and they've all been really, really, really short on details. Now, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how much this is going to cost, because it requires technology that we don't have yet. Uh, in fairness to all three of these parties, uh, I will say this. I, I often talk to people about setting objectives and goals, and I've met lots of people. You've met lots of people in your life who say, I want to lose some weight. And when you say it like that, you've got zero chance of losing weight. You've got to have a specific, I want to lose 10 pounds, and you've got to put a date down oh, by the end of the year. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to achieve it, but by making a very specific goal and setting a very specific timeline, you have a much better chance of achieving it. And I think that's the way we should look at this, not as an absolute guaranteed certainty, but this is a great thing to work towards. Whether we'll actually accomplish it is a whole other question. Okay, so let's start pecking through some of these things. We're not sure. going to get to all of them today. We only have limited time. But the biggest one right off the bat, and I, I mean, you and I keep talking about this because it is one of the big industries in this country, oil yep. and gas, natural yep. gas, fossil fuels. This is hugely important to Canada's economy still, even though it's slowed down yep. a bit. Can we as a country afford to phase it out, which you would almost think would almost have to be done to get to a net zero? 
Right. So again, to put it in context, if we look at this carbon footprint that we have today, 30% of it, 30% of the carbon that Canada releases into the world comes from the oil and gas industry. So this can mean one of two things if you want to get to net zero. It either means the death of the oil and gas industry and that we need to take those companies like Esso and Shell and transition them into clean energy. So they're the ones building the windmills or the solar panels, what have you. Uh, don't think that's likely going to happen because the world still needs some oil and we still need oil not to fuel our cars, but to you know, make plastics that we put into phones and all kinds of other things. So the more likely scenario, and this is another one of those up in the air, what we need to do is develop technology that can capture the carbon that they emit and then store it. Don't let it get into the environment. Don't let it be released. Grab it and store it and put it away somehow. Now, there are lots of companies working on this at the moment. For instance, there's a company in B.C. who's capturing carbon and turning it into a product that can then become a fuel, which you can use to do other kinds of things with. Uh, but we don't really have that technology today, uh, and therefore I don't know if it's possible to make the oil and gas industry carbon neutral within 30 years. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Marvin Ryder about this proposal by three of the parties, as he pointed out. I had it as two, but I forgot one. Uh, to have a net zero emissions in this country by 2050, which is an ambitious target for sure. And as I said off the top, I think sounds very expensive. Nonetheless, we don't really know because no one is really giving out any kind of answers at all. And Marvin, okay, so we whatever we do with the oil and gas industry... That's the first step. But next up, there's no way I wouldn't think that we could get to a net zero without getting a lot of the cars that we have right now and buses and trucks and everything off the road and down to or change it to electric cars or something like that. Those are very expensive, though, for the average person. Well, again, let me break it into two chunks. So one of the ways you can do it is simply to ban them and say, okay, as of such and such a date, I'll just make up one here, 2025. No longer will car companies be allowed to sell gas or, or diesel-powered vehicles or even hybrid vehicles uh, in this country. They're all going to have to be electric. Now, if you could take the volume, which today electric vehicles are 3% of the cars sold in Canada, and then suddenly convert all of that to electricity, given those economies of scale, I guarantee you the price of those cars would come down. Okay. They're so small at the moment, that's why they're high. But if you could get it there... Uh, what is the problem then with the cars? There's two reasons that you and I aren't jumping up and down to buy these electric cars. The first is the distance I can go on a charge. For me, it's very simple. I have sisters who live in the London area. I need to be able to drive from my home to London and back on a charge, and I just can't do that. I come up short. And then here's the second problem. When I do come up short, I need to, quote, refill my car. It takes hours not, not moments, but hours to recharge the battery. So, so what am I supposed to do? I'm either going to have to plug it in at my sister's place, make them pay to recharge my car, or find some place and then stop for a meal or maybe a massage and then get back in to finish the trip. Now, both of those, we think, are going to be changed probably within five years. There's been a lot of work done on batteries to get more storage in small spaces, and there's also a lot of work going to try to charge them at a faster rate. So again, if you're thinking 30 years down the road, well, I think we can actually get cars that are both affordable but easy to charge and run fairly long distances. Uh, to make it a worse example than mine, imagine you were going to drive to Florida and every 500 kilometers you had to stop and then spend eight hours <laughs> recharging your batteries. I don't think you'd be going and driving to Florida anymore. So 
you know. But you wouldn't it, be but able to one, fly. But you wouldn't be able right. to fly because there's no electric planes as far as I know. Not at this moment, but we could fix that too. But, but the bottom line is it, we're not there at the moment, I, but I'm not sure it's going to require the government to spend a lot of money. This is something the industry is doing. Just when are they going to have them ready? We think it's within five or ten years, which would then make the 2030 deadline doable. Uh, we do, on the next step, we do live in a cold climate. For many months of the year, we have to heat our homes, and most exactly. people's homes are fuel-heated in some way. How do we get around that without it costing a fortune? Well, again, two examples of this. So, uh, obviously, if we want everyone to be green, that means everyone's going to have to be uh, using electricity. So, say goodbye. say goodbye to natural gas, say hello to electricity. Uh, today, here's the good news, 70% of electricity in Canada is generated without having a carbon footprint attached to it. Now, some of it is nuclear, and yes, there's some problems there. Much of it is hydroelectric, but we do have some wind and we have some solar. Um, it's not really an issue here in Ontario. Our numbers are even better than that in terms of what percentage comes from green sources. But you take uh, Saskatchewan, parts of Alberta, parts of Manitoba, and New Brunswick, they have abundant coal in the area. They're burning coal, so I'm, chances are the federal government would have to pay to help them transition away from those sources of electricity. But here's the other thing. If I tell you, Scott, uh, okay, guess what? You know that natural gas furnace? You've got to pull it out and, and heat your home with electricity, all those nice baseboard heaters, what have you. You're going to be dubious because traditionally electric heating has been much more expensive than gas heating yes. uh, or oil heating. And are people prepared to pay a premium to heat their home uh, to, to be more carbon neutral? And again, the question is, can can people who make these things, the technology behind these things, improve the efficiency to bring the price down? We're not there today, but if the government's prepared to invest billions of dollars in technology, maybe we can get there. But we just saw in, during the last government in Ontario, the price of electricity go very high. I mean, there's a lot of people now, Marvin, who don't even do their laundry before like seven o'clock at night because they want to get the cheaper rate. You know, and, and again, a lot of these things I'm talking about, the, the concept behind them, I think people can get behind a lot of them. Yep. It's the, what will this, you know, so we got to switch to an electric car, but I may not be able to afford a car. How do I switch? I mean, there's a lot of things where people yep. say, this sounds expensive, not only to the government, to me. Right, it does. And, and so are we, or for instance, business, are they prepared to spend this? The fourth of those big four that we'd have to change are buildings themselves. Uh, you mentioned heating, but just the operation of buildings, there's a lot of carbon that comes out of all of that. So today we are now building, and you may have seen it up at Mohawk College, they, their most recent building was a zero emission, zero carbon building. Well, that's great on new construction, but what do we do with the hundreds of thousands, millions of homes that exist and buildings, heritage buildings, etc. What is the retrofitting of all of that going to cost? Uh, and how much is that going to be at the federal government's behest? And how much is the province? How much is the municipality? Now, I want to be clear, I'm not throwing up these objections to say we shouldn't try. And I think it's great to have a goal. It's great to have a year and say, let's try to get there. And look, if we could get 75% of the way to zero emissions, that's pretty darn good in the next 30 years, and it would make a big difference to the climate. So, you know, I'm not wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to think we can actually get there in 30 years and not cost us something, that is very much pie in the sky. Appreciate you stepping away from the meeting. I will let you get back now. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, Scott. That is Marvin Ryder from the Groot School of Business. And again, like, again, it is going to cost money. You can, you can believe in the concept. That's fine. Everyone has their views on climate change and all those kind of things, and that's fine. You can believe in it. 
But somehow this election, by not mentioning any numbers, it seems as though we're trying to skirt by this and not let people know. It, it, it is going to be costly. If you want this, it is going to be very costly. If you want this, it is going to be very costly. Don't somehow think that we're going to get there for free or close to free. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.